First John chapter two is where we're going to be tonight. First John chapter two. It's uh, right after Hebrews and Peter. First and Second Peter is First John and uh, before Revelation. And uh, thankful for God's word as usual. Thankful that uh, uh, He's He's got something for us every day uh, of our life. I'm glad. Uh, that his word is sure, it's true, uh, there's no error, uh, no contradiction, none of those things. We can stand on it all our life and beyond our life. That's the great part about it. You know, when you think about everything in this world, uh, you know, disappearing, everything, it either uh, the moth gets it or it rusts or a thief steals it uh, or it burns up in the end. Uh, one way or another, everything on this earth is going away, all the possessions, all the things. Uh, but I'm glad that even when that happens, God's word will still stand true, uh, which it has to. You know, if we're going to depend on something after this life, it has to continue after this life. And I'm thankful for it. But First John 2, we're going to be down verse 15. Uh, 15 through 17 tonight. Uh, so 1 John 2, 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not the Father, uh, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its truth. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be able to uh, take in your word tonight. Lord, challenge us, encourage us, draw us closer to you. Uh, and Lord, if there's any listening that are lost, uh, Lord, I pray that they come to know you before it's too late. And in Jesus' name, we pray all these things and amen. So the Apostle John, remember, he's the last living apostle. Uh, so he saw all of Jesus's earthly ministry. In fact, he was one of the ones closest to Jesus. He was uh, right there at the Last Supper. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, you know, all the way to the end uh, there at the cross, uh, watching him while some others had fled. Uh, but he was one of the closest ones. He watched Jesus die on the cross. He saw him risen from the dead and he watched him ascend back up into heaven. And then he was part of the early church, you know, uh, uh, with all the disciples and still one by one, uh, they were martyred. Uh, and uh, so he was the last one there. And in 70 AD, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. Uh, the temple fell uh, and John was left to be a pastor at Ephesus. So that's where he was. Uh, then, you know, he was in the Isle of Patmos there in prison. Uh, and then in his mid to late 80s, they think is when uh, John wrote this epistle, this first John. Uh, but this short letter talks about combating false beliefs, uh, you know, and, and you think about it, the church is that young. It's not even... Uh, you know, just a couple decades old, uh, yet there's already false beliefs that were creeping in. So that just lets you know it's only gotten worse since then, but it was right from the beginning. Uh, but at the beginning of verse 15, it says, love not the world. That's the first part of the verse. And that could be confusing. You know, that could think you could read that and think, well, that almost sounds contradictory, right? How could it say, love not the world? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense when we're supposed to love our neighbor when we're supposed to do other things so uh, whenever you see a verse that seems contradictory you got to dig 
in uh, and figure out why. Because, uh, like I said, nothing contradicts in the Bible. Uh, so you you would think, why uh, is this verse really telling us not to love the world, the people in this world, not to show uh, any love to those that are unsaved in this world? And the answer is no. That's not what it's saying. Uh, when the Bible talks about that word world, you know, love not the world, there's really two meanings in the whole Bible. Number one, it could be this planet Earth that we're standing on, this world uh, that we're living in, or it can mean sinful humanity. And if you look at uh, 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 verse 15, he's saying, love not the world. Uh, either he's saying, I, I don't want you to love this planet that we're standing on, or uh, don't love the ways that the world is rebelling against God. And I think it becomes pretty clear. Uh, this world is rebelling against God, rebelling against God's word. And then in chapter 3, in verse 13, he says, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. You know, don't be surprised if this world hates you. Now, it's not the trees uh, and the plants and the grass. That's not what hates us. What hates us is this world system of rebellion against God uh, uh, that is going, uh, living unrighteously, living against the Bible. And that's what God is saying right here. I don't want you to love that. I don't want you to love the things that are going against righteousness and holiness and God will don't love those things. And once you read it in that context, it makes a lot of sense. It's not contradictory. The Bible is pretty clear uh, from the beginning and the end. We are to live a separate life. But not only that, don't love the sinful lifestyles of this world. Don't love uh, the greed of this world. You can pick any sin. Don't love that. Don't love the sinful pleasures of the world. Don't. Uh, but you stop and think about it. It's easy to say those four words, but it's hard to live it, right? Jesus said, John 15, 19, if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And Jesus is saying this. He's saying, hey, as a Christian, you are born again. Uh, if you were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you admitted you were a sinner, if you came to him uh, and, and you repented, you said, I'm tired of that old life. I'm tired of going against God and his will. And, and I want a new life. And you trusted in Jesus, him dying on the cross for your sins and raising from the dead. Uh, if you trusted in all that and you asked him to forgive you of your sins, if you confessed that, you know, your if you did that and you are saved, Jesus is saying, hey, you're a new creature in Christ. You're born again. You get a new start. That means you're living a different lifestyle than you used to. That's the whole point of repentance. You know, if you came and you prayed a prayer and you got up the same way you went down, that's not a new life. That's not repentance. That's not anything the Bible talks about when it talks about salvation. We are to live differently from the world once we get saved. Now, is it like this? We turn all of a sudden into a perfect person? No, we still have the flesh. We still have, uh, you know, different things that we fight uh, in this life, but we should be turning. And that's a lot of what First John has. It has a lot of those things that we should be turning from. Uh, you know, in, in the chapter before, if we say that we walk in darkness, or if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You know, he's saying, hey, uh, don't act like you're close to God if you're walking against his will in darkness. You know, and you can see a lot of verses like that. 
that uh, throughout the book of 1 John. Uh, But he's saying, hey, you should be living a different life. And if you live the same life as the world, the world accepts you as their own. That's what Jesus said. But the moment you start living differently, what's he say? Therefore, but I, uh, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. The world hates us. and We're not to love the world. And again, this is that uh, rebellious system that's under the devil uh, that, uh, that that is just going hard against God uh, and everything else. And it is hard to be in the minority, isn't it? It is hard to live the life of a Christian when we are outnumbered by those that aren't. Uh, now, there are people that say they're saved or say that they're close to the Lord or, or say they're a Christian or anything else, but they don't live righteously. The ones that live righteously in these last days, uh, uh, those are the minority and it's hard to do it's hard to do because of our flesh it's hard to do because it causes conflict that's what he said the world's gonna hate you and guess what uh, I know there are a lot of people kind of like me we want to please people we're not looking for conflict we just don't dr- uh, run into a place and want to see who we can fight and who we can go against uh, because uh, you know it's just opposite of our nature and who we are uh, but the Bible is clear Jesus is clear uh, you uh, you can't live a righteous biblical life and please the world at the same time. There's got to be a separation. He's saying love, not the world. But he goes further in verse 15. Neither the things that are in the world. See, maybe you're you're listening. Maybe you're thinking about this and thinking about the world's way of life and how they do things and how they live and wickedness and rebellion against God. And you're thinking, well, those things don't really, most of that doesn't have a great pull on me. Uh, it doesn't really draw me. Uh, you know, maybe uh, you were like me, saved at a very young age. I was saved at nine years old. So God kept me from a lot of things. So those things he kept me from, don't I don't have the draw uh, or the pull uh, of some of those former addictions and different things that some people have to battle every day. You know, as uh, we were at the men's retreat uh, over, over the last weekend and, and before that, and there were some men uh, that I've known for several years that were deep into drugs, deep into different things. Uh, and it it was not as easy to get out of that uh, as, as different things. There was a, a great pull on the life, but maybe that's not you. But he goes on, not just love not the world. Uh, don't love the stuff that's in this world either. Don't love the things, the, uh, the, the, the goods, whatever you want to call it, the stuff uh, that can have a pull on you as well. And I was thinking about it, you know, I, again, we were at the men's retreat, so we're thinking in a, in a men mindset sometimes, and I don't know if it happens as much to women, but I feel like men, uh, we like to uh, collect certain things, buy certain things, right? You, you know, they'll have a, a lot of times a collection, and or if we're going to buy something, what do we do a lot of times? We, we research a lot, uh, figure a lot of things out about it, you know, maybe watch some reviews or, or do things like that and drive a long distance to get a good deal on something, save up money, plan ahead had to purchase something, uh, you know, and all of these things. Uh, and, and here's the thing. Have you ever gone to somebody's house and you see like their display case, right? Have you ever seen that? Here's my collection of this or here's that. Now, I'm not saying that that in and of itself is sinful, but it can be. There are people that their stuff rules their life. 
They're, they're, the things they have to decide where they're going to spend their money, where they're going to spend their time. Uh, you know, you think about if, if something happened to that, they would be more devastated uh, than if they, they didn't please the Lord. So it has a, a rule over our life. And this world is trying to get us, uh, again, we like stuff. That's in our nature. We like nice things. We like to have things. Uh, and things aren't in and of themselves bad. But when that thing has your love, because that's what he's saying, love not the world and and neither love, you can write that in there, neither love the things that are in the world. Don't let the things of this world steal your love from the Lord because it will if you don't, if you're not careful. So the apostle John was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. We know that. And Jesus would later tell the church, Tell that same church in Revelation 2, 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. He had praised the church in the verses before that for laboring in his name, for clinging to the truth, for getting rid of falseness. Uh, But they had a huge problem. Their love was somewhere else other than the Lord. And I've read that passage many times. I've preached on it as well, multiple times. And and this time I was stopping and thinking about it. You know, what did it look like in that church? If If we could go back to that day, if we could walk into the church in Ephesus, what did it look like for them to be laboring and working, but still have left the first love? And it made me think, could their love have been pulled away from Jesus by the stuff of this world? It could have been. It very well could have been. It could have been possessions or, or money or whatever. Uh, and it, Because here's the thing. We can turn that question around. Can the stuff of this world pull our love away from Jesus? Absolutely it can if we're not careful. The devil will use anything. So love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And this is what John is famous for in this book. He, he gives you the one or another. There's no, uh, he doesn't have these middle grounds in here. He's saying, hey, uh, basically our heart only has room for one love. We either love the world or we love God the Father. It's one way or another. And I, I one or the other. And I was thinking while we were at the men's retreat, one of the, the speakers uh, was reminding us that there, there are two kingdoms in this world. There's a kingdom of darkness there's a kingdom of God uh, and the kingdom of darkness is ruled by what uh, Jesus calls him in John 14 30 the prince of this world or Satan or the devil and then you have the kingdom of God that's ruled by Jesus Christ and and as he was showing us how uh, you know how a quick way to witness to somebody is hey uh, you start out in the kingdom of darkness where there's brokenness and sin uh, and injustice and pain and death and everything else uh, and and we are serving the, the the devil even though we don't even maybe realize that we're serving him we're under his rule but aren't you glad that Jesus came into the kingdom of he came to this world and it's brokenness and sin died on the cross for our sins rose from the dead uh, and uh, uh, gave us a way where we can get a pardon from our sins where we can get forgiveness of sins and then he said but here's how you go from one kingdom to the other you got to take your crown off and give it to Jesus Christ and I thought, what a what a way. Uh, don't give your crown to the devil or don't submit to his rule or don't submit to your own rule, but submit to Jesus's rule and let him be the Lord of your life. But I was thinking about that. You'll serve either the Lord or the devil, whether you realize it or not. 
And you know, that verse, if it makes you think, uh, you know, where the Holy Spirit's pointed something out and, and you're trying to excuse it in your mind, you're trying to downplay it in your mind, uh, you have to ask yourself the question, uh, is uh, how could I love something in this world or how could I love this world more than loving Jesus Christ? Because that's what the decision is. If, if, if you realize in, in just this one verse, if God is pointing something out and, and he is showing you, hey, you love this more than me, then you've got to ask yourself, why would we let that happen? And why would we let it continue another day? Remembering this, that this world is full of the same sin that Jesus died on the cross to save. That's what this world is full of. He bled and died and suffered on the cross for those same sins. And that's what it talks about in verse 16. Three types of sin for all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. So verse 16 is breaking down these three types of sins that the devil uses to lead people in rebellion against God. And one thing, uh, I, I love Genesis chapter 3. It's, it's a sad story. I don't love the outcome of it. But what happened with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden uh, in that first sin and first rebellion against God explains so much of the Bible to come, explains uh, the brokenness of sin and salvation and everything else. But if you don't, uh, if you can't remember, or don't know that chapter, but God gives, he creates Adam and Eve first, the first humans, and tells them puts them in the garden of Eden that's perfect and tells them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil but after listening to the devil's lies this is what happened to Eve Genesis 3 6 and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat so you think about that one verse What's the first one? The lust of the flesh. And usually we think, uh, a lot of times we think about sexual sins, and those are included in the lust of the flesh, but it's more, it's much more than that. What did Eve do? She saw that the tree was good for food. Do you see that? She saw it, uh, and she was looking at it and seeing, and her thought was, that tastes good. Right, that that fruit that God said not to, uh, uh, you know, looks like it tastes good. I want to take a bite of that because I want to taste it. Right, and you think about the other trees uh, in the garden; it wouldn't have been a sin for her to taste any other of the fruit of any of the other trees except for that one. But what was she doing? She was giving over to the flesh. That that's what she was doing in that first part. Uh, she wanted her desire for that food, that fruit that tasted good. Uh, she saw it and said, that looks like a fruit that would be good. I want a piece of it. And that was giving in to the lust of the flesh. And we give ourselves over the lust of the flesh anytime we put our desires, and it could be uh, desires for like her, for food, for water, for shelter, uh, you know, sex, comfort, rest, any of those things. It can be even laziness. You know, if I, if I decide uh, God's told me I need to do something and I'm going to give myself over to laziness, that's a sin too. That's giving myself to the lust of the flesh. And here's the thing. There are, uh, they're not bad in every situation. But you know what? If I'm never uncomfortable, if I'm always in my comfort zone, then that means I'm not walking by faith 
and probably not doing what God wants me to do. And I think one of the big things uh, in, in the church today is the church today wants everything comfortable and convenient, and the Bible just doesn't support that in the New Testament. We can't give ourselves over to the lust of the flesh. We've got to continue to do God's will. Next is the lust of the eyes. She saw the fruit. Not only did she think that it would taste good, but was pleasant to the eyes. The look of it, just the look she wanted to have. See, at first it was the taste and then the look and said, man, I want that. And the devil is an expert at making sins look good, isn't he? Uh, and, And here's the thing. Because of that, we've got to be careful where we look. We can't just put our eyes uh, everywhere we want to. Uh, And now the temptation is not the sin. Jesus was tempted over and over again. Uh, We've got numerous uh, instances of people being tempted in the Bible. That's not the sin. But I'll tell you one thing. We know how to lessen temptations. And we know what to do to make temptation higher and make it even harder to resist. We can lessen the likelihood of temptations if we work at it and and we're careful. But if those temptations come, the Bible's clear, we've got to flee. We can't stop and think about it. You start reasoning it out. You'll make excuses. You'll dabble in it. We've got to flee it. So finally, you got the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So she saw that it uh, that it looked like it would taste good, and it looked like it was good to the eyes. But now she's saying a tree to be desired to make one wise. God told her not to eat it. But she made the decision that I know better than God. Right? That's what she said. That's the pride of life. And this world is full of it. Right? When he says love not the world, this is a big piece of it right here. This world thinks they know everything. And it's sad. Because in all reality, they know very little. They refuse to even study history or anything else, yet they know everything, but that's, that's for another day. But, uh, but here's the thing. Uh, she thought she knew what was better to do than to obey God. And if we make ourselves king over our lives that I talked about, we're going to be in trouble. But I'm telling you, this, this pride and self-sufficiency today, it, it is running rampant in this world today. And we know that God hates pride. But then we get to verse 17. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You know, you think about, I was mentioning a minute ago, all the things of this world are going to fall apart. They're going to be stolen. They're going to rust. They're going to, it's going to lose its luster. All of the things of this world, or it'll burn uh, eventually when God uh, burns this world up and creates a new one. Uh, But he, but this, we see around us, people invest so heavily in this world. They are spending so much money to keep this planet going when God said, I'm going to judge it with fire. I'm going to destroy it. So there's no way that men could destroy it. Now, I'm not saying that means we just, uh, you know, are careless about the world, but they honestly think we're going to destroy this thing. We're not. We are not. Remember Lot and Abraham? Lot is Abraham's nephew nephew and he invested heavily in Sodom. He had a nice house. He had a nice position. He was an influential leader in the city and he had all kinds of stuff, I'm sure, uh, and, and money and everything else, but he lost it all, right? He lost every bit of it and was left with nothing. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. One more reminder 
that you put your anchor in this world and, and the rebellion of this world, this is all you'll ever get. It will be nothing but worse after this world. Yet, for those that trust in Jesus Christ, for those that, that try to seek to do his will, living forever, eternal life. And you think about that. What a blessing. See, the devil is always trying to pull us back to the temporary, back to the here and now, back to us being in charge, back to loving the stuff of this world, loving the pleasure of this world and everything else. He is constantly trying to drive us back into that. And, and, and God is showing us in this letter. He's saying, hey, I want you to resist that. Don't you love the world? Don't you love the things of this world? That doesn't mean we never buy anything. That doesn't mean we never save up for anything. But your heart better not be uh, in the things of this world because once they start, that's dangerous. He says, this world's passing away. So you better get in something that's eternal. And it made me think a while back, uh, we, we memorized a handful of verses. And uh, I didn't realize it, but... Many years later, I thought, man, what a wonderful thing to think about the here versus the eternal, the temporary, the present versus eternity after this life. James 4.14, whereas we know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. You think of that steam that rolls off the pot. It's just there for a split second and gone. And that's what God says. That's the equivalent of our life. It is literally that fast. And you think about, well, you know, I may live, you may live for 60, 70, 80, 90 years. Yes, but in God's eyes, it's that quick compared to eternity we don't know how much and then uh proverbs 27 1 boast not thyself of tomorrow for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth and and here's the thing i've noticed we plan ahead as if everything's going to be the same right uh, my health is going to be the same my job's going to be the same my bank account's going to be the same my relationships are going to be the same my friends are going to be the same tomorrow as they were today yet if we go back and look in the past it's never that way there's always unexpected changes. And that's why he's saying, don't you trust in tomorrow when you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. But aren't you glad we can trust in a God that knows tomorrow? That's why if we trust in Jesus Christ with our life and his will accounts for what he already knows is what's coming ahead. Hebrews 9, 27. And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. There, every single one of us, we've got a life that's short. We've got a tomorrow that, that is full of unexpectedness and change. And, and, and either way you think about it, all of us are going to die one day. And after this, it says the judgment. We will stand before Jesus Christ. There's two different judgments in the Bible. One is for the sinners. And they may argue with him, but he ends the same way. Uh, uh, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. And in every one of the scenarios, he casts them into the lake of fire where there's judgment, the worm dieth not, all of those things, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's never a good picture. But for the Christian, we will stand before Jesus with a different judgment. That is not a judgment of our sin. It is a judgment of what have we done with our Christian life since we're saved? What have we done with the time, the talents, the energy? Uh, what we will be held accountable for that and we'll receive reward for the things that we've done. But once we die, there is a judgment after this life. You know, a lot of people say, 
Or it's easier to believe that everything's just done after this. Or everyone goes to heaven. Or there's some kind of big party. That's not what the Bible talks about. Matthew 24, 44. Therefore be ye also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. So even if you think you're going to live for a long time, we don't know when Jesus is taking his church home. And we don't know when he's coming back to judge this world, when he's coming again and stepping forth on this earth. Uh, what it, you may argue what this passage is talking about, but either way, we don't know when it's coming. I don't know. No man knoweth the day nor the hour. So you've got to be ready. I want to be found working when Jesus comes back to get me. Don't you? It's no different than those parables where uh, he would leave. The master of the house would leave his servants doing something and, and told them to occupy until he returned. Uh, and then he would come back from a far country at an unknown time. And then they'd have to give account. I guarantee every one of them wishes they would have been more prepared the day he came. So there's, that's why he says, just be ready. And then Hebrews 2, 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? There is no escape without the salvation through Jesus Christ. This world's temporary. It's passing away. It's living a lie. It's under, uh, it's under Satan's rule and they don't even realize it. It's decaying and it's dying and everyone in it will die as well. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Aren't you glad there's eternal life through Jesus Christ? And that's what he's starting to tell them. Hey, don't you love this world? Don't you love the things of this world? Don't you chase after the lusts? Flee the temptation. Because this world is passing away. And I think the bigger message is, hey, if you're going to invest your time, your energy, your heart, put it into spiritual things. Put it into the things of God that have a real reward, that will have eternal results, that will abide forever, store up treasures in heaven where the moth, the rust, uh, you know, the thieves can't steal. None of that can happen. It'll never decrease in value. It'll never be worthless one day. You know, people have put their trust in a lot of things that were worth a lot until they weren't worth anything anymore. Then it makes you ask the question, where is your heart at? Where is your love? Because he says, love not the world. Don't be like the church of Ephesus that were, they had a church. It had church, uh, had a church name on the sign. You know, the Ephesus church, they were doing a lot of things. They were getting rid of false doctrine, but they were working and laboring and their heart was somewhere else. I don't want to be like that. How about you? So he tells us, hey, this is one of the different tests that are in the book of First John. You know, First John, uh, he makes it clear, as, probably as clear as ever in this book. Uh, in, chap in chapter 5, uh, he makes it clear that, hey, we can know that we're saved. Um, I can find it real quick. That, that we can know it there because some people say, well, I don't know. Uh, oh, here it is. Uh, so first John five thirteen. these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the son of God. He is making it clear. He's saying, hey, for those of you that are saved, you can be sure that you're saved. And I'm thankful for that. And I believe this is one of those tests, not only to make sure 
You are right with the Lord because, again, if you're a new creature in Christ, what happens is that love for the world will start decreasing and the love for God will start increasing. That's what the growth is. And this is just one of those tests, you know, that uh, the, the lust and, and, all, and the pride and all these things had a full hold on your life. And you'll notice that hold is getting weaker and weaker and weaker as you're drawing closer to him and getting in his word. And then uh, one of the last things is you realize that the stuff of this world has less of a less of a heart, less of a desire than it used to. You know what? That's just one one of the tests that are in the book of 1 John that shows you that, yes, I am saved and God is working on my heart. Because I remember there were things in this world that had my heart and they don't have it anymore. Why? Because he's replaced it with things that he's wanted. So maybe if that, I don't know if that helps you tonight, but, uh, uh, you know, God is trying to show us love not this world uh, and it's important where our heart